You're listening to Test, Learn, Grow, where we believe that all marketing should create value, build trust, and inspire change. This is the Level Agency way. Hey, Miles here from Level, and I am proud to be your podcast host. In every episode of Test, Learn, Grow, I'll be joined by agency team members and other members of the marketing community for radically candid conversations on all things marketing. So without further ado, let's dive into today's episode. Today on the podcast, we are joined by Laura Greenewald, B2B1 team lead, and TJ Bruno, B2B2 team lead. Welcome you both to the show. Thanks, Miles. Hi. Good morning. Good morning. Or afternoon or evening, whatever you're listening back to. You <laughs> the podcast. Right, right. Uh, yeah. Whatever time zone you're in, we're happy to be here. So I'll bounce back and forth between the two of you because it's fun to have two people to interview at the same time. Well, ladies first, of course, Laura. Let's start with you. Get to know you a little bit better. Break the ice, as it were. And if you could share just a fun personal fact that can endear you to the audience right now. What would that sure, be? Sure. So my fun fact is, you know, since we've been in quarantine, I've really uh, taken a pretty active role in my family farm that I grew up on. So every weekend, uh, you know, when I sign off, I had um, about an hour south of Pittsburgh and get on the tractors and help out with all of the stuff around the around the farm. So it's a really nice break from the technology and what I do every day and actually very zen. I'm sure. Really yeah. And I, I always love like that manual labor too, especially when mm-hmm. we work on computers all day. So we know in our brains we're accomplishing something, yeah. but you can't always see it like and hold it in your hand. It's not tangible, but I'm sure working on the farm, if you plow a field, you look back at the field, it's done. Oh, right? completely. And like learning mechanics and like old, I mean, old technology, you know, some of these tractors are things that have been around for 50, 60 years and you can still fix them. You can, you can take them apart, put them right back together. And uh, it's pretty awesome. Well, when the robot apocalypse comes, we'll know where to head. <laughs> you can take care of this all. I got you. TJ, what about you? Yeah, so to keep with the quarantine theme, I've started a, a rather extensive fungo pop collection, as you can see a little bit behind me. Laura has actually helped add to my fungo pop collection. Uh, got me a two-pack uh, sandlot, which was awesome. So... Now that we're getting back to normal and, and out of quarantine, I'm sure it'll continue and I can buy more fungo pops in person. But uh, it's been something fun, cool to do uh, and start start collecting things that hopefully doesn't get too out of control, uh, but it's been, uh, been fun to do over the last couple of months. Yeah. And so people that aren't watching the video clip right now and are listening to this, they can't see your amazing collection. Can you explain to us what a fungo pop is? Yeah, so fungo pops, they are little animated figurines, characters, if you will. Uh, they're probably about the size of your cell phone, so they're not too big. I would encourage you to go online, check it out. They have fungo pops for literally anything and everything. My collection started with uh, WWE. I'm a wrestling fan, so I started collecting those. But they have movie characters, Marvel characters, Harry Potter characters, um, and anything and everything between. So it's uh, it's pretty fun, and anyone can really get into it. 
So at some point, that means we have to have some level agency fungal pops. You know, that's a great idea. Some some swag to bring to conferences and things like that. We can make our own fungal pops. That's a great idea, Miles. Just have like a fungal pop named Pat. And then you you don't know which Pat you're going to get, but you'll get a Pat. Yeah, depending on the size of the beard, you'll know which Pat you get. Yeah, That's awesome. Cool. Well, appreciate those fun facts. Let's get into the, the business facts and learn more about what you both do in your role as team lead over different B2B teams. So dealer's choice who would like to go first, but can you explain what that means? Sure. I'm happy to jump in. So as team lead for B2B1, I set the strategic vision for how we focus on our client's business. We have creatives, um, developers, media managers, and project coordinators on our team. You know, my role really is to help those different team members kind of understand what the big picture is and make sure that they have the tools, the training, the resources that they need to achieve what the goals are for our clients. It's really challenging. It's really fun. Um, and it gives me a chance to use my problem solving skills every day. Yeah, I, had, I heard someone refer to their calendar as a game of Tetris recently. That was also a team <laughs> position. So I think that's where the yeah. challenge is. Play Tetris all day and make it all happen. Yeah, absolutely. And Laura, to piggyback off of you, I know you summed that up pretty well. You know, really trying to help the key team focus on a daily, weekly, monthly basis on hitting our big targets, our clients' overall marketing business goals, making sure we're working towards those and the client feels it, right? It's very easy to be, you know, stuck in our own silo and churning out a bunch of creative, a bunch of landing pages, working on strategies, but really showing the client how that's impacting their business day over day, quarter over quarter is, is super important. Um, and then also, you know, not being afraid to, to jump in and help out where I can with the team, right? Uh, do we need help writing copy for emails or, or search ads? Do we need help, you know, putting together a keyword or audience strategy, you know, putting together UX recommendations? The list is endless. You're wearing many hats as a team lead, but just really overall making sure uh, we're staying focused and, and hitting our client's objectives. So you both haven't always been team leads, right? You weren't you weren't born into these positions. So I'd love to hear about your career growth in general and then specifically at level. Like what what brought you to this role, your path to get here, and some of that other experience that you bring to the table. You know, prior to joining the level, I was a journalism public relations major, so didn't dive right into marketing and advertising right away. Right out of school, I worked at a couple PR firms in DC. And then I made my way back to Western Pennsylvania. Uh, and I was a multimedia consultant for a few years. That's really a fancy way of saying I was an advertising sales rep for a few years, selling print, selling digital, selling radio, TV, all of those kinds of things. But doing that for a few years really got me interested in working with other agencies. So we were working with digital agencies on media buys, things like that. And that's where my passion kind of for agency life started to grow. And then almost six years ago, the summer of 2015, uh, when I joined the Level team as an online marketing specialist, at that time, Level was very much a startup. We probably had about 15, maybe 20 employees tops at that time. Um, no teams. I know we'll talk about cross-functional teams probably in a little bit, but you know, my role when I first started at Level as an online marketing specialist, I was doing the media buying, I was doing the reporting, doing client services type of work, email, status calls, those kinds of things. So it's been really exciting over the last couple of years to see 
you know, not just myself, but the agency where we've come, um, you know, five, six years ago uh, to being this, you know, startup agency in Pittsburgh to where we are now with multiple cross-functional teams, uh, a huge team, variety of different skill sets across the team, serving a variety of different industries. It's been, it's been really cool to see the growth over the last couple of years here. So I have a very different background uh, from TJ. His is pretty traditional. And I took a really different path. I started actually, my undergraduate degree from Penn State is in theater. And I came out of uh, school. I worked right, I moved right into working in the arts, kind of a hippie kid. And I quickly realized, you know, hey, I think there's a, there's something I'm, I have like a pretty good knack for, which is understanding audiences, understanding what drives people, what drives decision making. So I uh, worked in the arts for a little bit, decided to go back to school, got my MBA, and then I actually worked at a university here in Pittsburgh for about four years after that and uh, moved into a marketing director role at an arts organization. So really enjoyed getting my hands dirty every day and wearing many hats, getting used to kind of all managing all of the different parts of putting together a strategic marketing plan for an arts organization. And then, you know, unfortunately, there is a ceiling in working in the nonprofit arts. I love it. I'm really passionate about it. I still serve on a board, but I realized I wasn't going to get too far staying in that seat. And I had become really interested in the digital marketing component. So I started looking for some opportunities to expand my horizons. And I knew a colleague who I had met, you know, within my arts network who returned to work at Level uh, named Brad. And so we had been talking and I said, you know, if Brad likes this place, this might be the agency for me, which was exactly the right, uh, exactly the right direction. So I started here. It's been three years this week, actually. And I, uh, I came here as an account manager. I was working directly with Brad on the client services team and pretty quickly fell into, okay, I think I see what's going on here. I think I understand how the client communication piece works. I, uh, I grew really fast uh, in the marketing strategy, the technology, how we craft our digital media, make sure that it's measurable and make sure that we're you know, reporting on those results. So over the course of these last three years, I've moved from just sitting in an account manager seat. I was a senior client services manager with a small team and now working in a team lead capacity, helping drive sort of all parts of that marketing hierarchy. I love the diverse backgrounds. I think that's what makes agencies so great is that it's it's like a team of of misfits in many ways, right? These people, like, <laughs> they don't quite fit in yeah. one specific industry, find their home in an agency and bring all that diverse experience and backgrounds and it works. And then all that mm-hmm. experience gets put forth to work for the clients and the results are, are amazing. Absolutely. So B2B, you guys are both leading B2B cross-functional mm-hmm. teams. B2B is probably one of the most generic titles in mm-hmm. business, right? Because it can mean so many different things. It can apply to so many different industries. I'd love to hear your take on what do we mean by B2B at level agency, the types of industries we serve, and if there are any differences in B2B1 and B2B2 that you know clients might be interested in hearing as they listen to this and maybe consider working with level. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So TJ and I definitely have, um, there's some similarities and there's some differences between our two teams. But for me, whenever somebody asks, uh, you know, like whenever I have to explain to my aunt what I do or something like that, I always explain, you know, there's there's consumer advertising and that's what you're going to see. And they're asking you to buy things on Amazon or something like that. Um, but with B2B, what I really focus on is the long lead to sales cycle. 
So mm-hmm. what we're trying to do is build up a communication and messaging strategy that will take a user from trying to solve their problem, inquiring to learn a little bit more, and then ultimately handing that individual off to usually a sales team or some sort of longer term nurture cycle that will push them toward that ultimate decision. And so on my team, you know, we have campaigns and clients with things that might take two to three months for a decision to be made that might take 18 months for a decision to be made, depending on the size of the type of business that they're seeking, the type of work that they're doing. On my team, that means we don't necessarily only have business to business accounts. We actually do have some consumer accounts, but we know that that buyer is going to go through a similar journey. They're not going to wake up one morning and be like, you know, I really like this. I really like these shoes. Let me just hit up Zappos and get them. They're going to say like, hey, you know, I've been thinking about taking down the fence in my backyard and installing a new one. What do I need to consider for that? And what types of services might I find in in the area to help support that? And, you know, they may take several months to make that decision. Laura, I think you're you're spot on there. You, You summed that up well. You know, first, the differences between our teams, not a ton. You know, B2B is a, you know, a focal vertical for level agency, um, just based on the sheer quantity of B2B accounts. We had to split them up. So we have two teams that we bounce ideas off of each other. But just to piggyback off of Lori, you know, in addition to the long sales cycle in B2B, something that I try and instill in my team is we're still talking to people, right? We're still talking to folks like you and me. A lot of times for newer folks coming in, it sounds very daunting, like business to business advertising, like where where do we even start, right? But there are people, there are executives, there are other marketers on the other side that we're trying to get get their attention, right? So it's super important for us and something that I have our team focus on is like, okay, Whose attention are we trying to get, right? If we're trying to go after some enterprise level accounts for uh, one of our clients, we're trying to target like an Exxon, Ford, Apple, right? Who are the key decision makers? Who do we need to get information in front of, right? Um, is there a buying committee? Um, a lot of times in B2B, there will be folks, you know, maybe four to 10 people within the company that are in charge of making a large purchasing decision. So some of our B2B clients, sell software that is very expensive, tens of hundreds of thousands of dollars. And to Laura's point, it's not like buying a new pair of running shoes. You're not just going to go online and be like, oh, I'm going to buy this new $100,000 software for my company. Click, done. We wish it was that easy. It would make our jobs uh, much easier. But identifying who those folks are, right, and and getting relevant content and information in front of them um, on a consistent basis. One of the biggest differences with B2B, uh, to Laura's point, is that long sales cycle, those multiple touch points, even before someone becomes a lead, uh, right? Doing things, thought leadership pieces, you know, something like this, like a podcast or a webinar, case studies, white papers, get them interested in your product before hitting them with a little bit more of aggressive messaging, whether that's to talk to a sales rep, schedule a demo, uh, pick up the phone and call somebody, those kinds of things. So there are some big nuances. It makes it a little bit more challenging, I feel like, at times, but also keeps it fun because uh, we always got to gotta change it up uh, and, and keep new fresh stuff in market to, to keep our, uh, you know, potential prospects interested. Yeah, I love what you said about, you know, just press a button and buy that $100,000 thing, right? There's no impulse yeah. buying in B2B. Yeah. And if that happens, typically somebody gets in trouble because they didn't do enough research before. 
making yeah. money purchase. Yeah. So you touched on it a little bit, like the differences between consumer marketing and B2B marketing. But if we dig into that a little bit more, beyond just the differences, so I think we've established, you know, the longer buying cycle and decision makers, more of a committee focus versus an individual buying for their own needs. So that's the difference, right? So there might be more differences you want to touch on. But I'm curious, with the cross-functional teams, with the centers of excellence that we've talked about on the, with other people on the podcast, we have access to that, that brain power, people that are marketing to the consumers. How does that translate to B2B? Is there any way where you can take a similar strategy that might work in e-commerce as an example or, or B2C and then flip it and make it work and be effective in the B2B space? Yeah, absolutely. So something that I've really enjoyed, you know, moving into cross-functional teams and Miles, to your point, having those centers of excellence. If all we did as an agency was B2B, I feel like we would have blinders on as an agency. Um, we wouldn't be able to explore and see the other things, to your point, that EDU, Ecom, other teams are doing. Um, and we're meeting as a leadership team and with the COEs. We'll learn things. So, hey, maybe Ecom is implementing, hey, this new exit pop-up on one of their uh, websites for one of their Ecom clients. Um, and it might be a good idea for B2B if we're promoting a webinar, right? So before someone's leaving the website, hey, did you forget to sign up for this webinar? Trying to get people, you know, one of those touch points, right, to help them continue their buying journey and buying cycle. So taking something similar and just adapting it a little bit for for B2B, those things are, are always valuable or else, you know, to my point, you know, we might lose sight of those kinds of things if we were solely focused on one vertical or one industry. Yeah. At the end of the day, B2B or B2C is about getting the right message in front of the right person at the right moment. And no matter um, if you're selling something that costs $100,000 or, you know, you're selling one of my one of my favorite clients, uh, we focus actually a lot on professional development and courses. Um, so whether you're selling something that costs uh, $100,000 or something that costs $800, you want to make sure you're understanding who's signaling that they're ready to take another step and be able to deliver them some information that pushes them in the right direction. And so, you know, you do that, you you use the same tactics and same techniques that our e-commerce or EDU team uses. We're always testing, A-B testing, ad creative, uh, landing pages. We're always looking at ways that we can optimize at different points in the funnel. So does our search copy and our landing page copy really speak to one another? Can we make sure that that is so, so zipped up that the user can't help but think like, hey, this answered my exact question right now. We focus in very similar ways around that messaging um, and that audience behavior, just to make sure that we get the right person with the right message at the right time. You mentioned that we're always testing. That's you know, mm -hmm. huge of the level of culture. Yeah. Curious, what are you guys testing right now? What's something you're excited about <laughs> that you're, you're testing and we're learning as we speak? Yeah, uh, so I try to make sure my team launches everything with a test. So I could go down a rabbit hole of like, <laughs> little copy tests, little image tests uh, throughout our ecosystem. Um, but one thing we're doing right now that I think is kind of interesting, it challenges some of our assumptions, which I think is really fun. We're testing uh, around domain names for our landing pages. Um, so we found that a client's previous landing page from one of their previous partners doesn't really perform all that well against our landing page, except every once in a while. And we can't, we wanted to test it. We didn't want to move totally away from what they had had in market and what was doing well, but we wanted to be able to bring them something a little more sophisticated. And so we've been trying to answer the question, 
what exactly is changing the performance between the two? Why does it temporarily shift back in favor of this old landing page and closer to ours? And what, we, what we've isolated is the URL that they're using is very specific and very keyword rich. The URL that we're using is a subdomain of the client's own name. And even though we have keywords at the, at the back end of that URL, there's still some question around what is it that Google likes about this old landing page so much, even though it's not optimized for conversions. And so we just launched that um, last Friday. We have some initial results that, yes, when we moved our content to this other landing page domain, we're seeing a little boost in um, that period over period conversion rate. And so we're gonna continue to watch it for a couple of weeks and then make some recommendations around how we might strategically build out our URL structures for clients to make sure that it's keyword rich, it improves the quality score, um, for those search ads in a way that helps us take those like those little incremental wins that one percent better every day. It's a great example of what like the benefit of working with an agency, right? And what TJ said, yeah. an agency that works in a bunch of different verticals, because what you just talked about and what you're learning is going to be applicable to every single client that the exactly. agency works with, even though it started with your team. Uh, so yeah. I appreciate you sharing that. That's great. Yeah, that's a that's an awesome example, Laura. Um, you know, something cool that we're doing on our team. We're using a, a couple of different ABM personalization tools to get some very personalized landing pages for uh, our B2B clients. So customizing the landing page experience really for the user. So not just showing them, um, you know, their company name, which I'm sure people have seen, uh, but drilling down to showing them their specific geo. If they're servicing an area, we have maps of their geo. We have individual sales reps for those folks that are personally assigned to that region. Uh, so we're more easily able to track um, and identify what's working, this kind of granular, personalized approach versus just more general messaging. So that's been really fun. Uh, I know sometimes feels a little creepy to folks uh, when we have all of their information um, on the page, but generally over test or testing this over the last couple of months, uh, the personalized approach does work. Um, it does get the, the user's attention, especially in a B2B environment where there's a lot of competition for share of voice, just attention, um, and it tends to stand out. And it at least helps us get that first initial interaction with the prospect and hopefully get the ball rolling on, uh, on, on some type of sales cycle there. Yeah, and even if it might be just a little creepy, right? At least that makes, it, that makes it memorable, though, right? Yeah. You got to think somebody that's sitting and it's their marketing and they need to do what you're doing to target them, to target yeah. their companies. It's like as you're advertising to them, you're also proving what you're good at doing on their behalf. So it's like a, mm -hmm. a twofer. A hundred percent. So what do you guys think beyond what you're testing? What's a hypothesis you have? This is on the record, right? So we can come back to this mm -hmm. in six months and see if you were right. But six months from now, what do you think is something that's going to be true? in digital marketing might be a new trend or the adoption of a platform or some piece of technology that'll be rampant that is just new today you know what do you think a couple of things one i don't feel like i'm going out on the limb on saying this but with all the changes to privacy data protection i think the way users behave and users opting out of tracking is really going to affect you know how we manage and just 
how we report on, on our campaigns on a day-to-day -day and week-to-week -week basis. We've already started to see it with the new iOS rollout uh, at the end of April and a large percentage of users uh, opting out of tracking. So I think that's known, but one platform, you know, to, to shift gears just a little bit that we've been talking more and more about internally, not huge for B2B, but TikTok. So TikTok as an advertising platform is coming fast and furious. They are adopting very much a Facebook mentality when it comes to how you can target on, uh, on TikTok, which Facebook has been pretty much the gold standard when it comes to social media platforms on how you can target certain prospects. So I'm, I'm envisioning more and more advertisers, maybe not so much in the B2B, B2B space, but definitely e-com, higher education, going to adopt more and more TikTok advertising over the next six months. Yeah, eventually if that happens, probably B2B, to your point. Yeah. We're talking to people, right? And people are on TikTok, whether they're a CEO or not, right? So it'd be interesting to see yep. how that goes. Yeah, I think that's definitely spot on, TJ. And I think kind of piggybacking on the, the data privacy piece, we're, I think we're just seeing overall the importance of having first party data to use for your advertising mm -hmm. and how we integrate those data systems for smooth, seamless transfer of information. One of the things that my team has been really looking at is we've always been very audience first. We've always been very behavioral in how we how we strategize. And with the loss of some of that data, some of that kind of um, the gating that we're seeing from these new privacy initiatives, and it's getting crazier with iOS 15. We just right. got like, we were just like, oh, okay, we get 14, cool. And then they throw 15 at us and we're all like, oh my God. So like, as we start to get more and more gatekeeping around how that data work, I think we'll see the rise of the importance of first party data and companies really using their marketing dollars to build an audience um, that they can tap into as needed, which then comes into how do we use, uh, how do we use that to influence that down funnel behavior? And the sidebar of all of it is if we have to prospect, we're going to have to get a lot more clever about how we build those interests for our audiences. Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited to see how it all unfolds and to have you both back on the podcast to dig into those <laughs> topics specifically, because we could have many episodes just on both of those things you two brought up. Mm. But I appreciate you joining me for a bit of this meet TJ and Laura episode yeah. here. It's obvious you guys are true experts and I can tell you're all in on the strategy, which is awesome. So I appreciate being here and we'll have you back soon. Thanks, awesome. Miles. Thanks, Appreciate Miles. it. This is great. Thanks for listening to this episode of Test, Learn, Grow from your friends at Level Agency. For more information on what we do here at Level, be sure to visit us online at www.level.agency. Tune in next week for a brand new episode of this podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to rate and subscribe to the show so that you never miss an episode. And until next time, Remember that the best way to do any sort of marketing is to test, learn, and grow.